You're listening to the Story Centric Podcast. Welcome to the Story Centric Podcast, episode number 17. I am your host, Andrew Buckley. It is December, guys. Like, literally December. Can you believe it is freaking December already? If you're looking for Christmas gifts, books always make great gifts. I encourage you to listen to previous episodes, meet some new authors, check out that work, then buy said work and give it as a gift. What could be better than a book? Everyone loves books at Christmas. Buy books. They're wonderful. Speaking of which, my next guest joining us for the next two weeks is C.C. Humphreys. Chris Humphreys is a Canadian author, but he's uh, British. Well, is he British? No, he's Canadian. He was born in Canada, but he grew up in the UK. So he has an absolutely splendid accent that you'll absolutely love. Uh, I love listening to Chris. Uh, If he could follow me around and just narrate my life, that'd be great. Uh, His most recent book, Someday I'll Find You, was published just this past June in Canada. Spent six weeks in the Globe and Mail's top 10 for Canadian fiction. It's been really uh, great to see the success of this uh, book. You can pick it up pretty much everywhere, because it is quite literally everywhere. Uh, So if you like historical fiction, be sure to check that out. I had the pleasure of meeting Chris for the first time this year at the Word on the Lake Writers' Festival in Seminar, BC. And then we later recorded this conversation for the podcast. We talk a little bit about his journey from Canada to Los Angeles to the UK. We talk about his journey from acting to playwriting to novel writing. And we cover different acting roles that he's had, which, I mean, I saw him on the bill in the UK when I was a teenager. He's been on Coronation Street, which was like, is like UK royalty TV. Uh, he was on the Highlander TV show that used to shoot out of Vancouver, uh, which I used to absolutely adore. And he was also the original voice actor for Salem the Cat on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is a pretty interesting claim to fame. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I love talking to Chris. I hope you really enjoy it. Um, we get more into the writing side of things in the next episode uh, coming next week, but this is a great um, background on Chris and his acting and um, how he's kind of grown into becoming this amazing storyteller. So I hope you enjoy it. Have a listen. Introducing C.C. Humphreys. All right, let's start at the uh, at the very beginning. What's your origin story, Chris? Where did you come from? Ah, well, uh, I was born and immediately began to suffer, I say. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I was, well, I probably did. Uh, I was born in Toronto. Um, my parents had lived there uh, since the late 40s. My dad had emigrated after the war, um, you know, a few years after. And like, like you know, most... Um, immigrants uh, even these days do he arrived without his family to see if he could make a go of it and my mother joined him a uh, a year later with with my elder brother um and so uh, yeah and and then i was i was born in toronto and then when i was 2 we moved down to la my dad was an actor and was having his little shot at hollywood and then uh we headed to england when i was nearly 7 hence the uh, the 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 wonderful british tones uh, which were, you know, had to be beaten into me both by, a, you know, the English private school system and the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, where my so lazy nice. North American R was finally kicked out of my mouth and uh, I was able to speak in these dulcet tones. So that's, and then, I, yeah, England um, after that, I mean, obviously from the age of seven and 
um, a lot of my life there. Um, it's, you know, and I mean, we'll get into my various, the various hats I wear and the various careers I have partaken in, uh, in a bit, but, but yeah. And, and physically I then um, went back and forth between, because I always had the Canadian passport. So I came back for a summer in Vancouver in 91 and stayed five years because I just kept getting work as an actor, went back to England for 10 years. My son was born. We came back to Canada and ended up on Salt Spring Island where I am now. Yes, yeah, though, though no, no longer with the the mother of my child, though great friend. <laughs> my awesome. boy is now my boy is now nineteen and in his second year at university. So all is good. That's great. He's in Vancouver, right? He's in Vancouver at UBC. Yeah. That's so just a hop, of skipping a jump across the uh, across the water there. And... Yeah, yeah. I was in there the other night. Uh, you know, in true good Canadian fashion, I took him down the Legion to play some pool. Eh? You know, it was it was all great. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing okay so you've gone back and forth uh between england and canada quite a bit well i didn't i actually didn't know you were born in canada in my brain i thought you were born in born in england and then emigrated over canada. yeah yeah uh, was that culture shock i mean seven years old you're still pretty young and adaptable but was it a culture shock to go from canada to england at that age so yes it was a huge culture shock uh you know i was essentially a californian kid used to you know running around in my shorts with my dogs and my swimming pool and all that stuff you know we live that life and suddenly i'm I, i'm again wearing shorts but it happens to be the winter of 1963 one of the three coldest in the 20th century because i'm at my father's prep school right so yes a culture shock was definitely what it was uh i it took it, it i think it took me a while to recover i mean i'm i'm pretty adaptable so um uh I, you know but it, it did it did set in motion uh, a uh a sort of wandering spirit for sure never quite settled you know so uh, which which again we can talk about i'm doing some more wandering next year so um but yeah so so a bit of a culture shock but uh, i adapted i mean it's interesting because you know we, we talked about this andrew before i think when we first met that you know we're both derived out of england and yet mm -hmm. i don't know whether you really consider yourself an englishman these days i i am and i'm not i'm all these different things you know and part of my my dna and my uh, up, upbringing is english and my my cultural references and my sporting references and all that stuff very english so i i can become very english but yet i'm not really and i'm not really canadian and i'm i'm i'm, I'm everything which is i love i love so many different things and so many different parts of my background and where i've been i i once said that my um uh my my body is Canadian, my mind is English, but my heart is Norwegian. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a reasonable summary. I, I, I mean, I still consider myself an Englishman, I suppose. I mean, I spent 17 years, the first 17 years of my life there and then immigrated to Canada. So now I've been in Canada longer than I, than I was in England. But, uh, and you, at least you still sound english i don't even sound english anymore so oh, I well you, you know you you've sort of blended you're not quite canadian either so it's interesting no. i do yeah and, and i like that disparity i like kind of, kind of well i mean especially because i do so much speaking in schools uh some some people hear it more than other people hear it mm, mm, and some mm. people think it's a speech impediment and some people think that think that is it an accent are you african or australian <laughs> i get a lot uh oh. and so it's, yeah, it, it is a bit muddled and mixed, but I had no choice. I had a very thick Mancunian Northwestern accent when I moved over here to Canada. Wow. No one couldn't understand a word I was saying. So I adopted a Canadian accent so that I could blend in better and actually like pass, you know, my oral exams at college because the, te the teacher couldn't understand what I was saying. So I wow. adopted a Canadian accent. 
which is really easy because you just make everything sound like a question. And yeah, it, 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 it comes like that. Yeah, it is. So I got rid of it really quick, and it, which is ridiculous because at seventeen I didn't realize the power that a, an English accent had on Canadian females, but. Ah, it, it was too well. late. It was just, it was just gone. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Well, we we probably shouldn't go into that area, Andrew. But yes, indeed, the the accent has always served me well. Because I I went back and lived in L.A. actually in the mid '80s as an actor. Um, I got I got a big lead in a big TV show that was an American TV show, and so I went out there and lived in Hollywood for a couple of years. And yes, the accent didn't hurt really. No, I imagine not. Mm. No, and I've I've heard you. I mean. You're, you performed at the at the Shoes Warp um, Writers Conference. The little bit you did with the alcohol uh, that you just like threw off the bat, like that was <laughs> such a, a fun little piece. Yes, um, and and I think I well when I introduced myself to you, I think I said I remember you because I remember you from the bill in England. Like I remember seeing you on the bill way back when I lived there. Yeah, which was a while ago. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. And so you have this crazy, like, I mean, geez, there's so many different aspects of your career to go through, and I don't even know where to start. Uh, I get, what emerged first, writing or acting? Oh, acting, for sure. Well, I say that with alacrity, because that's my first career. Um, I, there was, I think there was a part of me that it, there was always a writer as, as well, um, though I never considered it as, a, as an idea for a career. It's just something I kind of you know, noodled and doodled with, with words always. Um, you know, when I was at drama school, there was a lot of, um, you know, we, we made up a lot of stuff. We wrote little scripts and stuff all the time. Um, and I was in a comedy group when I was uh, 19, 20, um, which I writing a lot of sketches, sketch comedy and stuff. Um, but, but no, I hadn't considered a career. It's, it's, it's something I... In the back of my mind, it was something I always wanted to do, particularly historical fiction. But, um, you know, acting really jumped in. And again, relatively late, I was, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, and, and I just kind of drifted through education, scraping every exam I ever took. I was not academic until I got to about 16. And then suddenly, instead of being, having facts driven to my brain, you know, or that I had to learn formulae and all that sort of nonsense I suddenly was engaged in subjects I loved history and English and particularly and and with teachers who were great and really encouraged argument and debate and suddenly I blossomed and I was gonna I was actually gonna head to Cambridge at one point and read history but um but then acting intervened I come from a family of actors my dad was an actor uh, all four grandparents were actors um I'd avoided even the thought of it. I think my mother did not want me to be an actor, and um, and so I just I just was drifting along. And then I got cast in the lead in the school play, and and all the genes kicked in, and suddenly I'm going, ah, oh, okay. So I um, I then decided to forsake university, take a year off from work, and then uh, and then go to drama school. So that's what I did. And so so acting then became. Um, for the longest time, uh, and and you know, I'm still an actor. I, I don't mm -hmm. act so much anymore. I um, one of the main things I did very cleverly six months before lockdown, I, I I pivoted, as the word was, and set up my own recording studio. So I'm a an audiobook narrator these days, and do a, do quite a lot of that, which is great. Uh, and it was great, you know, obviously going into lockdown, everyone suddenly wanted audiobooks. Um, yeah. So I, I I worked a lot through that period with my own little. The studio um and then um yeah so um acting was the thing and i was pretty successful almost straight away um i mean in terms of working anyway i, I worked non-stop for two years in theater 
and then got my first TV breaks and then started to, because I was, I was, you know, young and quite pretty. <laughs> so I, I did quite well on television for a while. Um, and um, yeah, and back and forth with that. So, you know, the career took me all over the world. It was fantastic. Uh, I, I love acting. Um, I love the process of acting and that form of storytelling because that's essentially what I consider myself, Andrew. I, I'm a storyteller, you know, and I tell them in all these different ways. But uh, the, the problem with acting, of course, is that you can control very little of it. You have to wait for the opportunity to act. And I felt my uh, creativity was not you know, getting its full expression because I had so many stories to tell and, and waiting mm -hmm. to tell other people's stories, which some were good, some were Shakespeare some were not good <laughs> you know some were some fairly obscure hopefully never to be seen again british television shows so um yeah so i i always in the times between of which there are a number uh i was doodling with writing again and 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 then you know I, i'll tell you the origin story of the writing if you like but but um but you know finally i got to a point where i felt that i needed to try to pursue it you know not just write for myself get it out there and that's what i did and i wrote a play won a and I and first play I entered was twenty four hour playwriting competition. I wrote a play based on a recent, um, rather sad but hugely dramatic love relationship I've been involved in that had ended really badly. So it was lots of drama there, and um, uh, and so I wrote that. Just didn't think much more about it. Entered it. It won the competition. They gave me five hundred bucks. Suddenly I'm a writer, professional writer, and I wrote. I carried on writing plays. Up. Well, I wrote two more plays. Uh, the first of which was commissioned and then produced. So they paid me more money. And oh. then, uh, but then the the historical novel thing was what I wanted to do, and so it was a longer story about how I how I got into that. But but finally, eventually, I overcome my fears and doubts and wrote the French Executioner, which um, my first novel about the man who killed Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII's mm -hmm. second wife, the French swordsman. It's wild. It's an absolute insane sort of almost historical fantasy story, but it's such good fun. It's very funny, actually. And and also very dramatic, and um, it just took off. It really just catapulted me straight in, and you know the the I got an agent straight away. She got a deal, two book deal straight away. So suddenly I'm writing two books. This is back in London in 2001, and because I was I was living back in London then, and then um, you know then I wrote the second book, and then they say what next, and I went how about Jack Absolute, and they said my I was literally at a lunch in Covent Garden with my then editor who's now my agent, bizarrely. Uh, and uh, he said, oh, who's Jack Absolute? And I said, he's the 007 of the 1770s. And they loved that. So, so yeah, so I wrote, and yeah, and, 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 and then, you know, we, you're going to ask more questions about the career. I mean, that was, mm -hmm. Jack was book number three. And I've just published, as you know, my new one, Someday I'll Find You, which is book number 22. So it's been a busy 23 years, really. Has it ever? 23 years and 22 books. I mean, that's a book a year, right? That's how it averages out. Basically, yes, yes. Jeez, that's a that's the, a lot of work for a writer. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I um, I, I did I had one ridiculous thing when I had two books published on one day. <laughs> <laughs> Back in two thousand and seven, I think I my, the third Jack Absolute Absolute Honor and the first maybe it was the second of my Runestone Saga, which I was writing simultaneously, really for Knopf in New York, a, a, a young adult. A fan, kind of earth magic fantasy series so yeah you've really kind of bounced around the genres a little bit i mean i always think mm. of you and when i describe you to other people i'm always like he's a historical fiction novelist but that's not theoretically your 
that's not entirely accurate, right? Because I mean, you have well, it's not, it's not, it's not encapsulating. I would say. I mean, no. I, 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 much to the annoyance of my publishers, I have bounced around the genres. Um, you know, I was, I was happily on the on the historical fiction journey with Jack, just having come out when my then wonderful agent Kate Jones in London had just suggested because YA was doing so well at the time and she said the type of stories you tell you know hugely adventurous um you know funny uh, but but very dramatic and very fast-paced and very you know also the way you do families is really good she said that works really well for YA these days and have you got any ideas and you know I came up with one just off the top of my head which was loosely based on my own slightly strange Norwegian family Mm -hmm. and uh and I mean, that, those are the days, Andrew. Oh my God, it was such a different world. But uh, you know, basically, I came up with one chapter and a pretty skimpy treatment because I don't tend to plot ahead a lot anyway. So I, you know, came up with these things that I thought might work. <laughs> and and she had it sold to Knopf in New York in ten days. You know, it was just wild. So so that took me off in that direction for a while as well. So yeah, and of course, and then I, and then I've written fantasy. I mean, I've written you know my my latest foray into that i wrote a trilogy for Golans, who are one of the best fantasy publishers in the world called the immortals blood series the first book of which is called smoke in the glass and it's a it's a uh, set in a in a world not dissimilar to some of our historical worlds though there are four worlds within this one planet uh, and one is kind of mezzo-american aztec inca one is kind of Byzantine, one is kind of Norse and, and the clash between them, but they all have immortals at the heart of their world who are kind of the elites, the one percent. So um so yeah, so I wrote that wrote that for Golance. It it came and largely disappeared without trace, sadly, but uh that's publishing for you. So some books uh, do that, yeah. <laughs> they... Some books do that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the unusual thing is that you kind of just went from success to success to success. You went to drama school, you became an actor, you worked in theater, you got TV, you were successful that entire time, wrote a play, was immediately successful with that, wrote a novel, was immediately successful with that. You, I don't know <laughs> if you realize how unique your actual journey is. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 summed up like that, it does sound like a sort of seamless flow. I, I assure you it wasn't. I'm sure uh, there were bumps along uh, the road. You but... know, um, acting really kind of uh, faded away for me in my late 30s, early 40s. You know, it, it's a, a tougher period for a, an actor. You know, it's such a youth-oriented industry. Um, you know, I still managed to do some great things, and particularly back in theatre. But TV, had, you know, was kind of going, and it was it was it was a struggle to make a living. Um, you know, writing when you're getting into gear, it's you know they're not paying you fortunes at all. So uh, I mean, particularly now, but even then, um, you know, I started making some quite nice coin later when I had established a name and I suddenly got some rather good deals. But those are the days when publishers paid you living wage advances, which really they don't do anymore. Not anymore. No. So, um, you know, those days it was the editors who ran the business. I'll do my publishing rant here. But the editors who ran the business and who would, um, you know, it was kind of their call. And yes, they had to sell it to marketing, but they'd just say, look, this guy is, is so interesting. Let's just back him for a bit and see what he does. You know, so let's pay him to live and write. It doesn't really happen anymore. So, uh, well, in very, very rare occasions. Rare, sometimes, rare occasions. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. In, in some ways, I've been blessed. Um, I, uh, uh, but, 
you know, it's it's one of those things. You know, I think luck, fortune happens to people who are kind of you know working hard to seek it out. You know, I remember reading Jack Nicholson talk once about the acting profession. He'd struggled a lot as a young actor, you know. But he said, um, he, you know, he said his, his one word of advice to people was, or his, his phrase of advice was, uh, "Get ready, your chance will come." And I think that's the key for me was that I, you know, I got ready to to tell my stories in the way that that eventually I could sell them, which was which was great. You know, I'd, I'd armed myself with storytelling techniques. I worked at it, um, you know, and I do believe it's one of those, it's it's a craft. You can get better and better at it. So, yeah, well, I mean, especially coming from an actress perspective, I mean, it is unique. Well, it's not like it's an unheard of thing for actors to turn writers, but at the same time, you know, building that craft and that skill set as an actor, I mean, how did that help inform, you know, your 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 writing when you decided to turn to playwriting first and then later novel writing, like how did those early days of acting like actually build that storytelling ability, I suppose? Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, funny enough, I, it was a question I asked Jack White, who you were just talking about the wonderful, uh, um, and, and sadly no longer with us, a writer, um, who wrote a lot of historical fiction, um, very skillfully. And I asked Jack when I saw him at a, uh, I, I was a, still a sort of a wannabe, you know, and I, I, I went to the Vancouver Writers Festival uh, to, to listen to Jack White and Diana Gabaldon, both of whom became friends of mine later on. Um, and I asked him, I said, how does your you know, background as a bard and an actor? And, and he was he was funny. He was, he was sort of like, oh, well, of course it makes a difference, you silly boy. You know, sort of thing. Um, he was very funny. Um, but yes, I mean, it did. It, it has... You know, just living a life of storytelling, you get to learn discernment probably first off. You know, you, you can quite quickly smell what's a good script and what isn't. Mm. Um, you know, I, I can I can look at a film these days or a play, usually, usually film or, or even television, and quite quickly sniff out if the script's not good. If something's not working, it's generally the script. It hasn't been thought through enough, or there's too many chefs in the kitchen, something like that. But um, so, so yeah, a life of storytelling, um, a life of um, playing characters. You know, all my stuff is very character driven, um, and so you know, and it's it's what I tend to teach quite a bit now about about how to create a story from the character's point of view you know it sounds obvious but many people don't they yeah. sort of try to impose their character into some plot and you know plot's important it's all important but if you don't begin with character a, a recognizable human wanting something however extreme that might be it, it's uh i think it's tough to tell a story properly so as an actor you know i i I use my acting all the time in my writing, you know, because it's a, it's about a character's wants and needs and the obstacles that gets in his, her or its way. So, yeah. So, yeah, it has has affected a lot. And also just that, you know, I, my stories are uh, dramatic in the uh, in the in the core sense, i.e. they move along. There's a yeah. there's a definite push in the story. Yeah, I've, I've picked up your uh, Someday I'll Find You. I haven't started reading it yet, but I, I am curious because knowing you, understanding your background, I mean, I, I was trained in screenwriting before I was trained in any, any kind of other kind of writing. I went to film school for writing for mm. film and television. That's what I wanted mm. to do. So mm. when I switched to novel writing, there was very dis distinct, even through the reviews I saw that the pacing and everything was, I, I did it more as if it was a movie 
to keep the story going forward. And it was very character driven and very dialogue driven. Mm, mm. Um, so, so did that, those kind of mechanics kind of inform your novel writing in the same kind of way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I use a lot of dialogue uh, in, I, you know, because I, 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 I like action. I like things to be active. Uh, and so character in action, three words, not two, character in action would be really dull. Character in action is, is, uh, is what does it, you know, revealing characters through what they do, what they say. You know, dialogue's great because it, it, it ticks all the boxes. It, it, you know, moves the action forward. It's very active. It reveals characters by what they say and what they don't say. Um, so, and, and my playwright background, of course, and my acting background, you know, means I, I like all that. All I, I like people talking, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is interesting. I think that, uh, we are such a, a film literate for want of a better word generation. You know, we, we, we get a lot of our culture from the screen, mm-hmm. whereas, and, and it has changed how novels are written. I believe you, know, you can, I, I've read various things where people talk about that, that, um, that the you know previous generations the novel was the thing and and so novels referred to novels in their writing you know they were that's how they were written uh, as a novel you know you you read the victorians and they're big on endless descriptions of things you know we tend not to do that in modern novels so much we're um you know we, we're more i mean ev- People always say to me when they read my books, oh, I can see the film. You know, I, I absolutely, I feel like it feels like a film or, you know, I can hear you reciting it, which they actually can because I, you know, I narrate all my novels. Um, but, um, but I think that's, you know, like you, like you with your screenwriting background, like me with just being a, a child of this culture, I think stories, novels these days are told in almost in filmic terms. I always refer to it as like the Netflix generation of readers and writers is kind of what we're existing in at the moment where we've gone through this massive shift where people moved away from cable, which was, you know, a 30 minute show was told in a specific way because they had to have specific breaks for commercials or an hour long show was really a 45 minute script because of the space it needed. Yeah. Now we don't have those same restrictions with streaming. So I find that that has somewhat informed the way that people also read. For one thing, it's, it's really brought binge culture to the surface where people want to read a book and then they want whatever the next book's going to be. And they don't want to wait a long time for the next one, which shortens publishing windows, which puts pressure on publishers and authors and distributors and everything else. Absolutely. I mean, how the market receives it is going to shape how the books are written for sure. And, and people are being very successful uh, pumping out novels, you know. Um, uh, I mean, I, as you said, I, you know, I write fairly swiftly, but I'm scrupulous about not letting the novel go before it's absolutely the last thing I can do with it. And, and you know, as they say, a novel is never actually finished. It's just abandoned at some stage. So That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's... Uh... I just want to finish off the acting piece because you've, you, I mean, you've acted on both both sides of the uh, of the water here um, on several different continents. Like, what's kind of stood out as far as the not so much the theater because uh, I know theater is kind of its own encapsulating creature, but the TV and film stuff. Like, is there are there any, is, were there any roles that really stood out for you that you really enjoyed or that you consider to be kind of the height of your your career or? Oh, you had a lot of fun with. Oh gosh, um, yes. I mean, so many, really. Um, but 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 I mean, so many I enjoyed. Uh, though 
you know, there, there's a few, there's a few as an actor, you, you know, you, you play many roles, um, but there's a few you think, yeah, that was absolutely in my wheelhouse, that one, you know, I, I got that one. Um, and I've, I've had several on stage, but the, 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 the ones on, on TV and film would probably be, I played, I, I mentioned that I'd gone to LA in the mid eighties on the back of a TV series. I played a, uh, I was an English, re- largely an English regional theatre actor at the time. In fact, I was down in Exeter doing Barefoot in the Park, the Neil Simon play, when I got a call to go and audition for a, a small role in this biblical Roman epic that was going to be shooting for 10 months in Tunisia. And I hopped the train to meet the director and I got in with him and he was just looking at me going, yeah. he said, yeah, I'm going to screen test you for the lead. I was like, didn't he just say the lead was a... Jewish zealot who becomes Rome's top gladiator. I thought that sounds fun, but That's also what I see yeah. when I look at you, that makes sense. You see, I'm 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 a Northern European, right? So anyway, so I thought, well, it sounds like a good part. I took the script, I went away with it, back to Exeter, came back on the train three days later, screen tested it, and got the part. So I was then catapulted into that whole bigger world, uh, and it was a fantastic part. Caleb, um, well, you can sort of see him in the background here. He's he's on the wall. Can you see that? Oh, yes. <laughs> what, sh- what show was it? What was it called? So it was called Anno Domini, and it was a uh, biblical Roman miniseries um, with many big stars. I mean, you know, I, I got to actually interact and sometimes act with old Hollywood. He, um, James Mason was in it. Ava Gardner was in it. Susan Sarandon, Ian McShane. Ian Lots McShane. of big stars. Yeah, Ian McShane. But I was... I was um, you know, I played the low life, so I didn't get to act with lots of the emperors and, and empresses and stuff. But anyway, it was a fantastic part. And I, you know, I it, I started as this 18-year-old hotshot rebel and ended up as this 60-year-old kind of carrying the, 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 the later or the early Christian storyline, though I remained steadfastly Jewish throughout. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic part. Tunisia for 10 months, more money than I'd seen ever in my life, of course, because Mm -hmm. I was getting paid exceedingly well with nothing to spend it on because I was basically living like a warrior monk in Tunisia for 10 months. (laughs) So, um, but it was, that was great. And that was a great part. It was a great acting part, you know, a real, you know, the the guy who sets out trying to destroy Rome ends up making a living entertaining Romans in the arena, you know, so there was a lot of heady conflict going on. And I got to age from 18 to 60, and and we were looked after by Italians who made all that brilliant makeup and costume. And yeah, and I was I was also being a gladiator for God's sake. You know, there I was in a in a genuine Roman Colosseum fighting wild dogs. I mean, it was absurd. It's it amazing. was fantastic. So that was that was the. I mean, that was a peak experience. I would say. You know, the the upshot was that it took me to Hollywood, where I'd always wanted to go. Because I'd left LA as a child, I felt I'd been kind of untimely ripped from there, you know, um, and um, and discovered it wasn't what I wanted. Actually, um, I didn't I didn't last very long in Hollywood. It wasn't the career I wanted. Uh, I'd gone hoping to break into film, and Hollywood then was really a TV town, and I didn't particularly want to do American TV. So I was back in England and back in theatre two years later. So, um, but yeah, that was that was that was a great part. You know, I, I, I've had little smaller moments like when I did Coronation Street, you know, the three episodes I did on there. The script was superb. I'd never really paid much attention to the street. I knew I heard it was good and people loved it, but I wasn't a I wasn't a regular watcher. But it was such a good script and I played such a scallywag up from London to 
to con Bet Lynch in the Rovers' return. I mean, <laughs> what more could you want? You know, uh, and uh, so that was fun. And um, you know, I've, I've, I've again fulfilled my uh, my prime directive as an actor. I really ju- became an actor so I could jump around with bladed weaponry. So I did a lot of that. You know, I'm, I was one of the main villains in in a, an episode of Zorro. You know, and, uh, I'm still hailed as one of the three best villains in Zorro, the TV series. Um, I'm a dead immortal in Highlander, which is go figure. I don't know how I was an immortal and then I died within seven minutes. I don't know. Anyway, oh, that was fun. That yeah. was a series, though, right? The TV show. That, that was a TV like show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's a whole wiki page direct dedicated to my character Graham Ash. He's pivotal in the Highlander universe. Um, Anyway, you so Graham Ash, Graham Ash, yeah, you've heard That's of Graham Ash. I, had, well, I, I was a big fan of Highlander, like oh, a whole t- well, I was movie and then the TV yeah. series. Long That's wild. Beard. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, and and then uh, one of my more famous roles in North America, anyway, was that I was the original voice of Salem the Cat in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. What? Yep. Yep. Uh, but now I should point out that I was the original voice because I was in the pilot movie of Sabrina, which they then used as the first episode of the series. But then they relocated the series because the pilot was yeah. shot in Vancouver. They relocated the series to L.A. and they cast the cat down there. So I could have gone with it. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that very... would have been that would have been so nerdy and huge for you if you'd been the voice of Salem the Cat because that thing. Well, I am the voice. I am the original. You are. You are. You are the original yeah. voice. I apologize. Yeah, thank you. you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, there's been lots of lots of lots of lovely moments, um, you know, and 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 I'm hoping there will be more. You know, I, I I kind of it's interesting because without any planning on my part, I, I made a career as a writer. Uh, and I think it's partly to transition so to my uh, so I can play old coots as an actor. <laughs> I, I needed to occupy myself until I get because I was I've always looked younger than I am, and so so yeah. you know I need to get past that sort of you know oh is he young you know and then get to the point where I can be the old coot. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> That's exciting. It's good to have those kind of goals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, wonderful acting career. I, like I said, I mean, you've kind of, especially, I didn't know you played that character in Highlighter, but you've kind of like had these little little pinpoints in uh, my TV watching experience <laughs> of, of my entire life. And Coronation yeah. Street, I was never really into, but my, my grandparents loved Coronation Street. Of so course, yeah. Tons yeah. of episodes. Well, you're a Mancunian. You have to, Mancunian. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I walked the street. I went. I got to. I went with on a school trip and visited Coronation Street, and we got to walk past the Rovers' return. Uh, the iconic thing. stuff in the UK. Oh, yes. Yeah, really is. And that is it for today's episode, folks. Come back next week to catch the second half of the conversation with CC Humphreys. We'll talk about his writing process. Uh, which he has his own method that he's created called The Mountain. Uh, You will talk about avoiding the idea that a first draft needs to be good. Uh, We're also going to discuss a lot more about his best-selling novel, Someday I'll Find You. So we're going to dive into more of the writing stuff. So be sure to tune in for that next week. And uh, be sure to check out Chris's work. I'll throw his author website link into the podcast description. So please take a look at that. Uh, Until next time, I've been Andrew Buckley. I'll still be Andrew Buckley next time you hear me. And um, yeah, I'll see you next Tuesday.